Golden West Radio now brings you the Lawn and Garden Journal. Get your questions ready. Our toll-free line is open at 1-800-374-3315. Now, here's your host, Carla Hersina from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center. Good morning, everyone. It is the Lawn and Garden Journal for this sunny day. Yes, we see the sun around us today. It's not smoky yet. I, we hope that everyone is okay and safe where they are or taking measures to be safe. It is a busy time for fall and we are preparing to get our children and grandchildren back to school soon. Don't want to be a Debbie Downer with that, but the fall feeling is here and we are going to be busy as a bee. And that kind of brings the thought, yes, the wasps are out and there are a few bees are out and buzzing about. And so why not think about the bee, the clover and the thistle? Please listen. A bee from her hive one morning flew, attuned to the daylight humming. And away she went o'er the clear bright dew, where the grass was green, the violet blue and the sun of the gold was coming. And what first tempted the roving bee was the head of a crimson clover. I've found a treasure betimes, she said, and perhaps a greater might not see, if I traveled the field all over. My beautiful clover, so round and red, there is not one thing in twenty that lifts this morning so sweet ahead, above its leaves and its earthly bed, with so many horns of plenty, The flowerets were thick, which were crowned with clover, as the blooms of the helm of Hector, and each had a cell that was deep and round, yet it would not impart, as the bees soon found, one drop of its precious nectar. She cast in her eye where the honey lay, and the pipe she began to measure, but she saw at once it was clear as day, that it would not go down one half the way to the place of the envied treasure. She, in a pet, one thing I know, as she rose in haste and departed, it is not those of the greatest show to whom for a favor tis best to go, or that prove that generous-hearted. A fleecy flock came into the field, and one of its members followed, the scent of the clover, till between... Her nibbling teeth its head was seen, and then in a moment it was swallowed. Ha, ha, said the bee, as the clover died, her fortune smile was fickle, and now I can get my wants supplied by a humble flower with a rough outside and even a scale and a prickle. Then she flew to one that by man and beast was shunned for its pointy bristle, but in injured not a bee at least and she filled her pocket and had a feast from the bloom of the purple thistle. The generous thistle's life was spared in the home where the bee first found her. Till she grew so old, she was hoary-haired, and her snow-white locks with silk that compared, as they shone where the sun beamed around her. Welcome back, everyone. We're on the Lawn and Garden Journal for the morning. We're going to go right to the line because Marlene's been waiting. Good morning, Marlene. 
Yes, good morning, Carla. Good morning. And where are you calling from this sunny morning? Uh, from Steinbeck. And I am sad because I love blue flowers. And my beautiful blue morning glory until now has not one flower. Oh. Um, is, have you grown them before? Yes, I have them every year. And last year... The shock was already five flowers in September and then the first frost, and it was gone. Oh, that is so disheartening because they are such pretty flowers. Now, um, how soon are, like, when you're planting your morning glory, are you planting it from seed directly in the ground, or do you start them indoors? Oh, no, I buy it always at the greenhouse. Yeah. And I'm used to beginning of July. They start to bloom for me. Yeah. At the beginning, okay. I will just softly give them miracle grow, just like I do the petunias. But yeah. then later, I do just uh, two times a week. And comes August, oh, then uh, once a week, and it's done. But they are full of blooms. And now, last year, it was five. And this year now at the end, I see tiny little buds, and I'm thinking, okay, again, five. Okay, well, um, let's see if the conditions, are they planted in full sun? Do you have full sun with you in the area that they're in? They get the right amount of sun, and since we have lived here 11 years, they have surprised me because... The shade comes to the right time that the blooms stay open the whole day. That's what I love. Yeah. You know what? There and be... now it, it is to me a very big shock because, you see, I immigrated in 89 from Paraguay, and there I had a blue morning glory that was a perennial. Oh. <laughs> I had her for so many, many, many years. And my biggest question is, yes. does she need how many months until she is ready to bloom? Well, she should be blooming well within our time frame. That's why a lot of the garden setters start the seeds early enough that's in it for get the growth. But um, other factors, like uh, sometimes if we have too much fertilizer, maybe cut back on some of the fertilizer a little bit because some plants don't like to be heavily fed. Um, other things that may cause it for that's in there is if you're if you've got new garden soil or too rich of some garden soils, if there that could cause vigorous, beautiful growth, but it will cause some blooming aspects to be a little bit delayed or uh, aborted. So try and reduce your nitrogen a little bit if that is one of the factors. If you're thinking that could be part of what is in there and um, the other thing is sometimes if you're too low in some phosphorus phosphorus could be a little could cause a little bit of delay that's in there too as well okay okay thank you i will do oh wonderful so much and i just had a vision of uh, morning blue morning glories as being a perennial and uh, just the expanse of it because uh that there is a variety of blue morning glory called heavenly blue that is absolutely stunning. It gives you that cobalt blue. So 
I hope that you at least get some blossoms this fall, okay? Thank you so much. Yeah. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for calling in. It's in, it's kind of um, different, and it's kind of difficult when you put the energy into a plant, and yes, you don't get those blooms. So sometimes there's elements of nature that will sometimes affect plants too. We've been seeing a lot of heat stress that have been affecting a lot of plants. So that may be a little bit of a measure as well to consider. We're on the Lawn and Garden Journal, and... The theory of being busy as a bee came to mind because, yes, it's the end where we're starting to see a little more activity with people going back to school, going, getting ready to go back to work, back to daycare. It's the busy as a bee. And I thought, yeah, you know, there's also the wasps and the bees throughout there. Definitely the wasps are going through it. And as I was looking for the poem to read today, it kind of opened up on a page that it was actually, this is the weekend, for World Honeybee Day. And how fitting is that, that we are going to be busy as bees soon, the next, I call it the second gardening season of uh, planting perennials, trees and shrubs, and our tulips and that will be coming up ahead. But busy as a bee or even as a honeybee. And there was kind of a timeline that amazed me when I saw that the world timeline of the honeybee aspect of it so just to throw this out to you just so you're going to see that there's the awe and the wonder that's in there but according to one of these records that's on here at 3500 bc uh, it kind of had the birthing of beekeeping that's in there and the beekeeping was firstly developed uh, in egypt makes sense and then when we hit 5000 bc it was the earliest description believe it or not of uh of a honey cheesecake that was actually being used when the process of cheese was being dipped into honey. I thought that was really interesting because maybe it was the preservative aspects of it. I don't know. I'm going to have to look that up because it tells you maybe that honey had a lot of different characteristics that's on it. In the 1920s, that's a big skip that we got from 5 B.C., to the 1920s when the ancient art of related honey was discovered in cave paintings uh, in Spain, and then all the way to the first ever documented World Honeybee Day was started in 2009. So that gives you a little bit of the aspect of gardening of where we are, because bees and bugs and insects are part of our world. Think about that. All right, right now, we have to go right to the lines. Joanne's waiting. Hi, Joanne, good morning. Good morning, Carla. Good morning, and where are you calling from? I'm calling from Rapid City. Oh, well, good morning, Rapid City. And what's the weather like out there? Uh, It's windy and cloudy right now. Yeah, the wind, you know what, all over the wind has been a little bit uh, of an issue, eh? Even last night, I was watching the trees bending over. Yeah, yeah. Same here. Yeah. Well, how can we help you this morning? Uh, I was planning to save some seeds from a sunflower. Uh, there's a really nice sunflower in the yard, um, and it has more blooms on one stem, lots of blooms. Yeah. And so I, I was trying to save some seeds before the birds take them all. Uh, can I put, a, like, a paper bag around it or... 
of one uh, of those bags when you buy oranges in, like... Uh, yeah, you you could probably do that, but if the netting is wide enough, they'll probably still get to it. I would probably, if you have cheesecloth or um, a very finer netting that's on it, yeah, that might work so that the light can get into it. Okay, maybe I'll uh, try that. Yeah, because sometimes those netted bags that you get, um, they still have the beaks that they can get through there. You're yeah, just gonna get them. yeah, I was talking about <laughs> that too. So I was thinking of maybe a paper bag, but then the sun cannot go through it, so... Yeah, do some, like even um, sometimes there's the frost cloth or the netting, the row covering that we use for cabbages and that kind of stuff. Yeah, that I might have that work too. As well. yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll try that. That's fun to do because I did that the other day. Um, some of my chives were maturing. And when you know that you don't remove the heads of your chive flowers, yeah. how many chive flowers do you get? Well, a lot. Oh, yeah, they spread all over the place. So I spent a little bit of time. I took my cup of tea. I went out there, and I started deadheading and collecting more chive seeds, so at least I can have a little bit of controlled scattering. Okay, yeah, right. So so this brings a call to action to other callers that this is the time frame that if you want to start saving some of your seeds from your plants to start collecting them. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Good idea. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for calling in. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And it's amazing, too. See how the, sh- the show kind of twists and we go into a different direction? I love it because we're thinking of different things that I'm not thinking about collecting seeds right now, but I was a few weeks ago. But and then you think, why not share this knowledge? So I'm so glad that Joanne had brought it up. And it's interesting to see because uh, back in the day, I actually watched videos of slow release of flowers uh, expelling some of their mature seeds. It's quite uh, pretty and quite amazing how it develops. So if you go into the aspect that you want to start collecting the seeds, even using the netting, the netting uh, on a softer, more relaxed form that's on there will allow the seeds to be released in it. And if you take that covering off gently, you'll probably find that the collection of some of the seeds, depending on how the seed is expelled from that flower, how to collect it. Especially if some seeds are very, very small. If you're allowing some of your petunias or uh, even say your portulacas, which sometimes have a tendency to go to a seed, Uh, Another one that is a very tiny seed that you may want to collect is snapdragon seeds. So you do have to allow that seed set or the flower to produce that uh, seed setting mode. And you have to allow that, um, don't do all the deadheading because you have to allow the mother plant to mature their seed in order for that harvest to take fold. And it is kind of fun to see how many seeds you can get, and what you can get from them. And budget-wise, why not? It's collecting of seeds is uh, a great little hobby to do. And the other part of it is you get the excitement of being able to grow that seed in the next format of it. So collecting of seed, yes, great thing to do, great thing to do. Now, what I want to do is if you're... but. Remember, too, if you're covering up some of the seeds, some of the bees and bugs or the, the honeybees and the bees might not be able to get to it. But when we go back, I, I was kind of amazed about this honey, the benefits of the bees and the benefits of uh, the uniqueness of bees. 
because we see that the properties of what they collect for us, and yes, it's honey, and there's some beautiful honey blends that are out there, and it's so beneficial. Not only is it yummy and good to eat and collect, there's other aspects that you can do that are sort of the beneficial side of things. Um, you know, there are have been known for medicinal aspects of it. That I don't get into because I'm not a doctor. But even by using it for, uh, we've had some people for using it for the skin that's on it. I know that if I have a little tickle in my throat, I love a little bit of a... Uh, a soothing tea drink with a little bit of honey that's into it. And even some of the aspects for your skin, it makes it, uh, we know that there's products that are out there that you can use that are on there. I have a little bit of a honey cream that I like to use on top of my cuticles of my nails. So what a great product from the cuticles to my nails to possibly sometimes you even find it in lip balms to creating it for the cuticles for the gardener. It is something to be had and the baking and the drinks, and who could not forget, peanut butter and honey sandwich. The simplicity of that is just something to be had for. Now, if you're thinking of planting flowers for bees, there is the aspect of it for planting and getting flowers that love that. Have you been noticing that certain flowers you've been planting or attracting? And we need that bee. We need the bugs to help us with our pollination. So it's very important to do that. If you're thinking of collecting some of the seeds of flowers, like your asters, uh, even some uh, petunia seeds or other ones that the bees will come to. All right. Think of also to the perennial aspect of flowers for bees. Sedums, Autumn Joys, they love it. If you're looking at the mixture of plants that you can get into it, you can go into uh, some of the lavenders, which are really kind of their cone flowers. The cone flowers, remember too, the cone flower aspect, you're going to go cone flowers. Are you talking about the rutabecchias? Are you talking about the echinaceas? These are those crested ones that have the dome center that are absolutely stunning that's in there. These are food sources that are in there. Uh, of course, you have your Asclepias, you have Monarda, which is like your bee bomb. That's beautiful. Your asters. And of course, sedums. And giving a planting in a garden different types of flowers for different areas and different seasons so that the food sources are available at different time frames. We know that your peonies are a good source for it. There's your spring flowers for your early bees that are on there. If you're going into your comb flowers and your flocks, you're going to hit your midsummer seasons that are on it. Echinacea, a little bit later summer, and your sedum varieties, whether they're the low creepers or if you're going into sedum autumn joy, which is a little bit later, uh, they are outstanding. So then again, we're helping nature, we're helping our bees. But then the benefit of it too, let's be honest, we like the extension of flower from spring with our peonies to our flocks during the summer to our fall asters and asclepiuses that are out there. And, of course, the one that I love for fall, Sedum Autumn Joy or Autumn Fire, new varieties that are out there. 
I hope I hope you have a wonderful weekend planned. It looks like it's going to be sunny for now. Maybe the winds will pick up a little bit. Who knows? I know already, uh, just a little bit of a mention here, some of the apples have been falling off some trees uh, prematurely, or maybe they are ripe and ready, and we need to get out there to plant them, uh, or pick them, not plant them, pick them up. And this is one thing, too, is if we have uh, fruit that is falling on the ground and we're not harvesting it, A, We want to keep a well-maintained garden. We want to keep a clean garden. And the other thing, too, is if you're wondering why there's so many wasps around, well, maybe they are targeting some of the fruit that's laying down because they, too, are busy as a bee. No pun intended. There is the wasp and the bee. We're all working together. Um, They're collecting and they're reserving their resources for winter, for getting things up. So do we like the wasp? Or do we not like the wasp? No. Um, Yeah. Okay. Bugs are beneficial. Yes, everyone has a right that should be out there and attracted. But some of the younger kids, and I must admit, there's a lot more allergies with wasps. So we do have some tendencies to be a little bit more cautious with it. So there isn't a way that we can detract some of the wasps because that is one of the things that's happening right now is that they're buzzing around we find them they're intruding our picnics they're intruding our family uh, uh, outdoor dinners so maybe placing a wasp trap further away or doing sometimes those decoy wasp nests that you can put up to pretend that there's a wasp nest around and if they don't belong to that they're supposed to think hey i don't belong here that's not my grouping I should go to where I belong with my group or we could use certain types of plants that would deter some of those from coming to your property or to the area that you want to be sitting in and some of those plants are really kind of nice because we use them on a daily basis or we sometimes do it's just like our mosquitoes if you want to deter that some of these plants will help to deter and some of the natural ones that I'm talking about, um, I think mint comes to mind, basil, lemongrass. Lemongrass, by the way, was over the top. Everyone was looking for lemongrass this year at the garden center. Uh, I don't know if they're using it for deterrent of mosquitoes or if they're getting into the culinary aspect of it. Other items that will help to deter the wasp from being around you or the sense of marigolds. And of course, marigolds are usually generally planted around our gardens to help with the natural deterrent that we use. Remember grandma's gardens where she used to put marigolds all around as a protective territory against um, bugs that she didn't want on her garden. Geraniums and wormwood. These are all types of plants that we can use in a capacity that we can enjoy, but we can also go for a area that can deter this action beneficial beneficial that's in through the other portion of it that we want to be able to go through and keep it going so are you yay or nay beneficial for bee because of the honey and maybe not so beneficial for the wasp that's in there that's giving us a little bit of a bug so when we say what's bugging you It's not necessarily the aphids and and that. It could be some of the other ones too as well. And I know the granddaughters, when they start hearing a little bit of a buzzing effect around them, they're wondering, is it a fly? 
He'll fly away. Is it a bee? Leave him alone. He's doing us some stuff. And with a little bit of the wasp, if you have a little bit of the allergies that's to it, just be cautious that's out there. All right. I'm going to go, um, I'm going to take a message here right on that thought because I popped up last week and I forgot to mention it last week uh, too as well. So this time I want to be clear. Sorry if you hear my papers flipping here because it was about has caps and why are my has caps not fruiting? Well, there is a little bit of a, a recipe that's in through here, and it's, it's amazing what you need to cross-pollinate with something else. So for those that are listening, uh, has caps look like those little bit of um, a, a blueberry that is elongated. It's also called the honeyberry that's on it. Very, very tasty. And if you heard me mention it before, uh, I was out at one of the, I think it was Jeffrey's Nursery. I was out there for a little event and they hosted us and we actually got a taste of a delicious uh, little tart and to me I thought wow this blueberry is delicious but it was not a blueberry I was informed it was a honeyberry hang on there Lillian I'll get right to you and in the the honeyberry family or the hascap family it's actually in the lonicera that's in it It's a prairie uh, type of fruit. So when you're looking for the hascap varieties that you have, assure that you need a couple of them to be able to pollinate in order to get the maximized sizing of your fruit. So if you're, just for example, if you're getting honeybee, the one that's called honeybee honeyberry, you should be looking for pollinators, aurora, borealis, and tundra. So there is a recipe for it. So if you're looking for it, if you didn't do it this year, next year, if you're out and about and you're looking for one, make sure that you get the proper one to give you the cross-pollination because you want ample fruiting. And we find that if you don't have that purpose of getting it pollinated, the sizing of the fruit may be a little bit smaller. All right, that's my little tip for those, uh, for the gentleman that was in and looking for the honeybee, honeyberry pollinators. Those were the three that you could use. All right, we're going to go right to the line. Lillian has been waiting patiently. Good morning, Lillian. Good morning, Carla. Good, good morning. Where are you calling from? I'm calling from Nipawa. Oh, well, hello, Nipawa. Hello back to you. How can we help you on the Lawn and Garden Journal? Well, I, I years ago I started growing a Virginia creeper, and a lot of people said they're nothing but a weed, but it was just absolutely gorgeous. And last year it decided to give up on me and it it literally it did literally did up, give up and this year i i persisted i want it back because it's beautiful come fall time it's absolutely striking anyway here i am i'm i'm trying to grow up but what happened that it just all of a sudden give up and died off that that shouldn't happen right well, for, no, it, I'm, I'm going to say no, <laughs> because Virginia Creeper, now let's welcome everyone to the Virginia Creeper world, because if they've never heard of it, it is a vining plant, uh, it's got beautiful um, crested leaves that are on there that's open, it will climb on a trellising, that, so you need a vine support for it. But what's very unique about it is that it has beautiful red color tones in the fall. It makes beautiful coverage for 
uh, fencing, if you want to do fencing, like if you have that open wiring fencing, mm. pergolas, um, I can think as pergodas. I think my sister way down south, hi, sis down south, Carrie, she has a pergola, and I can't remember if it's Virginia Creeper or Angleman's Ivy. But understanding why your plant, and hey, how old was it? It was maybe five years old. Five or six years old? Yes. Okay. Did you change anything around it I it was did, planted? No, I didn't do nothing. I, 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 I'm of the faith that if it's growing, leave it grow. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> if, it's, if it's doing okay, it's just don't leave it. Just let it go on its own. And Virginia creeper is very, very hardy. Like it's uh, it's kind of a a beast. It will it will tendril and climb. I know. And, and one of the other ones is if you take one of the leaders down and you want to multiply the capacity or the length of that, just take one of the long leaders that are going upward and lay it along a trough or the groundwork, and it will root in as well. That's what okay. I thought. Yeah. Okay. So going back to your question. Why did my angle or my Virginia creeper die? Not Angleman's. Is there's few things. Were there any indications of pests or bugs? It, uh, la, la, last fall, probably when I did notice that this is going to up and die on me, I started looking at it, and it looked like it could have been maybe like a blight on it, and. I got somebody to look it up on Googled it, and it said to spray. So I mixed up Dawn and baking soda. I think it was baking soda and water, and I sprayed on it. Maybe I'm maybe I'm saving it because it is coming back very slowly. But like it was so gorgeous, so gorgeous. Okay, okay. If you see a little bit of indication down below, it's one of the th one things. Uh, it could either be a pest infestation, because sometimes they're prone to aphids. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, they can get aphids really, if they're in a very secluded sort of sheltered area, they can sometimes get aphids. Fungal disease, fungus or fungal diseases are very toned to that too, because again, if they're in a sheltered area that don't have good air circulation, sometimes you can get a lot of the diseases that can affect that too as well. Okay. All right. And then using remedies of what you spray, be careful of your ratios of soap that you put on it because <clears throat> plants breathe through their cells. So if we have too heavy of application of sometimes some sprays, it could cause a little bit of a detriment to it. Okay. Okay. So yeah. my theory is if it died last year and you're starting to see some indications of some growth coming from the bottom, yep. it's the top portion that had been affected, but the rooting system down below will probably come back. Okay. Okay? Yep. So, as you see it, but just, it's it's kind of those little things that if you take your tea or coffee or your late afternoon cocktail, go around and investigate plants to see how you doing. Because it's very quickly, some plants could um, get an, one infestation a lot faster. Like aphids, they can produce many aphid babies in a few days. <laughs> okay, and the same with fun. And sometimes weather plays a factor too, because if if it's very rainy for a long period of time and there's not poor air circulation, that's a good recipe for fungal diseases too as well. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. And 
let's say next year you phone me and you say you're Virginia Creeper's back and you're going to have that glorious red color in the fall again. I surely hope so. Okay. Thanks, Carla. You're welcome. Thank you for calling. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. And if you're looking for it, I know we have Linda uh, coming up next, but if you're looking at uh, something that you need that climber, Virginia Creeper, Again, it needs a support structure for it to go through. It gets very viney like grapes. It needs a little bit of the supporting. If you're looking for one that actually has a self-tendrilling, self-clinging, Engelman's Ivy might be your choice. That's the one that will actually climb up. Uh, it has little, it's kind of kind of neat. It has little tendrils with a little suction cup kind of ET fingers that kind of grasp onto things. So that could be a climber. And again, the color tones, if you want fall, color in your yard this is deep orangey red beautiful absolutely stunning all right let's go right back to linda hi linda good morning good morning how are you i'm very well thank you how can we help you this morning on lawn and garden journal uh i'm having some concerns about my delphiniums they used to tower over me the blossoms and so on now they barely come up to my shoulders and they seem to be getting shorter every year i was wondering what might be going on with them usually they're a plant that just you leave it there and it does what it does yeah okay so is it the old-fashioned like galahad and genevieve series that go five to six feet I, tall i have no idea what the name or background is they've just always been here and yes they're tall tall or where they're not now i'm wondering if they are they losing their vigor for some reason do i need to feed them or what's happening here how old are they oh <laughs> Probably 40 or more years. Okay. They are probably needing, uh, have you ever split and divide them, or have they always been in the same location? Oh, I divide them up and move them all around, and some of them go to seed, so I replace those ones to new locations, and uh, they've got, some have got full sun, some have got partial sun, every kind of description of sun you can think of. Okay, Um, and are the, here's a question, are the one, is there a difference between, Let's say I've got plant A, and I split plant A, and one's in the part sun and one's in full sun. Are they the same shortness? It's the same thing happening to to pretty well all of them, yes. Okay. Um, It could be that the strain has weakened over the number of years that are on through that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes um, some seeds, the genetics may be a little bit where it's not the true form anymore. They may have gotten a little reversion where it's going. Maybe it's weakened. Okay. Yeah. So that would be part and parcel of it. I would probably do a test, and if you knew a variety of another tall one, I would try buying a, some seeds next year and planting a new variety of the same one. Like if you knew it was Galahad or if you knew if it was something close and tall, to do a test. Otherwise, what you can do is to encourage fertilizing, add some amendments to the soil to see if that's the enrichment is what you're requiring. But you can do it, don't do it to the all, but do it to a portion of it to see if it, that causes a change in height. Right, right. And what kind of fertilizer would we be talking about? Well, if you wanted to, I would start with compost, like rich compost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would, but rather than going to fertilizer and that kind of stuff that's in there, if your garden is aged and you haven't supplemented your garden, by putting in some good compost or additive or sea soil that's in there, you're going to add a nutrient, a natural organic base that's to it. Right. Start with it that way. 
and if you see that there's a little bit slight difference in it, then it could be the nutrient base of the soil. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, because I know I've never done anything with these flower beds. Just put the flowers in, and they're on their own. Yeah, and, you know, it's like the whole thing. Uh, uh, like if you use the soil repeatedly over and over and over again, there is a nutrient base that we sometimes have to pull back or put into it, you know. Right. Um, and compost is the good thing to put back because it is renderings of byproducts that will go back into nature. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. Do you compost? I do. You do? Okay. So if you... And isn't that wonderful? You know, I, comp, I have to admit, I composted years ago, and then my husband built a garage, and my composter had to be given up. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it. Like, it would just... This richness, I would open that bottom drawer... Stick my arm in. In the younger days, my daughter, who was young, would go, Ugh! like that's yucky, <laughs> but it was so good. Right? Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, so, I just have a pile of of uh, grass clippings and, and food waste and so on at the back, and it gets very little attention, but it seems to work its magic and uh, turns into compost. Yes, and that is like uh, what's that? Um, like liquid gold. Mm-hmm. Like it's just beautiful. You know, so composting does have its purpose and giving our waste back to the land rather than filling it in a pile, some, you know, like a landfill somewhere right. is very good. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. give it sort of, I always like to do a little bit of a test to sort of say, you know, so do that test, see what you can do and uh, give us a report back. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. You're welcome, Linda. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It's amazing how some yards we have our challenges, but then there's something that we're going to do. It's a task to be able to succeed with it to get it to grow. It's amazing how, like I even said before, if you know, I know some people that can grow lupins in their backyard. I am not a lupin grower. It's amazing. It brings us back to everything. And it makes us that little bit of a busy bee that we have something to do. Thank you for listening to the Lawn and Garden Journal, everyone. I hope you have a great weekend. We'll be back next weekend on the Lawn Garden Journal. Bye-bye, everyone.